0: Lesson number 167, Surah Al-Hajj, ayah number 1 to 24. Surah Al-Hajj is a very unique surah of the Qur'an. It's a very different surah. And what I mean by that is that this surah has many unique characteristics. What are those characteristics? First of all, if you look at the name of the surah, what is it? Hajj. What is Hajj? It's one of the pillars of Islam. Is there any surah which is called a sawm a Salah? A shahada? A zakat? No. This is the only surah which is named after one of the pillars of Islam. Surah Al Hajj is also different because it is the only surah in the Quran which has two sajda tilawa. Sajda tilawa, what is that? That certain verses which, when they're recited, what should we do? Prostrate. Right? As we are reciting, or we should pause the recitation and go into sujood and then continue the recitation. Which is why if a person recites an ayah like that in salah also, what do they have to do? Go into sujood and then continue with their prayers. So this surah has two sajda tilawah in it. Also, surah al-hajj is a makki surah and a madani surah. It's makki and madani. Parts of it were revealed before the hijrah, and other parts of the surah were revealed after the hijrah. And if you think about it, if you connect it with the concept of hajj, what does that show? Hajj is a pillar of Islam. Right? It is something that is required from every believer who is able. And we learned that all of such commandments were given to the Muslims after the hijrah. You understand? They were given after the hijrah. So for example, zakat, when it comes to fasting, all of these obligations came after the hijrah. Because in Makkah, it was not possible for the Muslims to practice the deen. Right? The only thing they were required to do was pray two times a day, if that was possible. right? And then finally when the Prophet ﷺ went for mi'raj, then the five daily prayers were made obligatory. So anyway, hajj was obligated after hijrah. So you can understand why the surah, parts of it were revealed after the hijrah. Because it talks about hajj, and those details came after the hijrah. However, the concept of hajj existed even before the Prophet ﷺ came. Because who announced the hajj? Who began the hajj? Ibrahim a.s. And Ismail a.s., he was in Makkah. And his children, his descendants, the people who came after him, they did practice, they did perform hajj. But obviously over time, just as many concepts, many rituals were distorted, hajj was also distorted. It was also changed. But the concept of hajj existed amongst the Arabs, against the mushrikeen. So this is why parts of the surah were revealed before the hijrah also, right? Now, hajj is an obligation, right? And while it is an obligation, remember that there are also many lessons that we learn from hajj. When it comes to any command that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given, any command, whether it's a ritual that we have to perform, or it's the command to forgive, or it is the command to be good to the relatives, whatever command it is, there is definitely wisdom, there is definitely some benefit behind it. Definitely there is. Whether it's the hijab or anything, there is some benefit, there is some wisdom behind it. You know, there is something that is known as al-sharia, The objectives of the sharia. Meaning every command, every prohibition, that is part of the sharia, it is to achieve certain objectives. So for instance, of the objectives of the Sharia is the protection, the preservation of one's sanity. You understand? So this is the reason why alcohol is forbidden. You understand? This is the reason why drugs are forbidden. Why? Because if a person is allowed to have alcohol, then what will happen to his mind? What will happen? He will be intoxicated, he will be drunk, and he will do something that only an insane person would do. Right? So, when it comes to hajj also, remember that this is not something that we have to do for no reason. There is some reason. There is some benefit. There is some lesson that we learn from hajj that we cannot learn from anything else. You understand? This is the reason why hajj is obligated. Now, what are those lessons that we learn from hajj? If you think about it, hajj is one of the biggest gatherings on earth. Annually. I remember watching a documentary and it was about Hajj by National Geographic, I think. And in that, they were saying that planning for Hajj is so difficult because it's like you are preparing for five or ten Super Bowls, right? in which every person is participating. And imagine Super Bowl. It's one of those events that is watched all over North America. right? And imagine the place where the Super Bowl is taking place. How many people are there? Thousands and thousands. Now imagine all of those thousands of people are not just watching the Super Bowl, they're actually playing, participating. Right? So Hajj is one of the largest gatherings. But despite the fact that it's one of the largest gatherings, how do you feel when you are at Hajj? You feel alone. You feel alone in that biggest gathering. You know, for instance, if you are in مُزْدَلِفَة or you are at Mina, and you don't know where your tent is. Alright? You go to the bathroom or you go to get some food and you don't know where your tent is. Every tent looks like your tent, but it's not your tent. What happens? In that huge gathering, you are lost. Even though there are thousands and thousands of people all around you, but you feel all alone. You feel alone. And what does this remind a person of? The Day of Judgment the largest gathering. But in that gathering, a person is all by himself, all alone. Hajj is also very difficult. It's not that easy. Which is why one of the first things that we need to remember when we go for Hajj is sabr, sabr, sabr. I have to be patient. Because each person is going to be tested in their own unique way. In their own unique way. Because Allah knows what the weaknesses of that person are, right? And Allah will test that person according to his weaknesses. You know, it's amazing how people do all their planning when they go for hajj. right? All their extra clothes and extra plan B, whatever. In case something goes wrong, then I have this. But what happens when you go for hajj? Your bag that you were relying so heavily upon just never shows up. Right? Or you get the most expensive package, but what happens? You're stuck in minna without food. I remember when we went for hajj, We were in Minna. We barely got breakfast in the morning. It was hardly, you don't call it breakfast. It was just tea with like packaged snacks. And for those people who don't drink tea, so a person like me, it meant no breakfast, just water and maybe some nuts or some crackers or something like that. So anyway, that's the breakfast that we got. And then there was no lunch and there was no dinner. Why? Because the person who was supposed to bring the food, he was stuck in traffic. He was stuck in traffic. So he's on the phone, he's like, I have all the food with me, I just can't make it. I'm sorry. I can't make it. And so many people were getting upset, they were angry, they were like, when we go back, we're gonna sue this group and we're gonna do this. You know, everybody's getting upset. But everybody is tested at Hajj. Right? And in that moment of difficulty, when you're being tested in that way, we see That each person, their reality is exposed. How each person, he just abandons the rest of the people. He's like, you know what, I don't know you anymore. You deal with it. I can't bother anymore. So people, their weaknesses are exposed also. How each person, they just dissociate themselves from others. You go your way, I go my way. I'm sorry, I can't carry your bag anymore. I give up. I've had it. I'm done. And we see that on the Day of Judgment, people will also abandon each other in the same way. So in Hajj, there are numerous lessons, many lessons. And we will see in the Surah, that where Hajj is mentioned, Day of Judgment is also mentioned. Because the Hajj, in fact, is a reminder of the Day of Judgment. It's a glimpse into how the Day of Judgment will be. You know, people are wearing just two white robes. That's it, two white sheets Simple clothing The richest man is looking just like the poorest man Right? If you look at the kings also If they come for Hajj, what are they dressed like? Just like their guards Or just like everybody else There's no difference Everybody's dressed in the same way And Hajj, it's a long journey And that also reminds us of the length of the Day of Judgment The heat of the Day of Judgment The sweat, the difficulties of that day so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم bismillahir الله الرحمن الرحيم يَا أَيُّهَا O mankind, O people, اِتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمْ Fear your Lord. Have fear of Allah. اِتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمْ Stop disobeying Allah. Obey Him already. Wake up. Until when will you be heedless of Him? اِتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمْ because inna zalzalata sa'a, indeed the zalzalah, the convulsion, the earthquake, a sa'a of the hour, of the final hour, it is un aweem, it is a terrible thing. It is something that is very, very great. What is very great? The zalzalah of the final hour. What is zalzalah? Zalzalah literally is harakah, movement. What kind of movement? Shadidah, that is severe. If you look at the word Zal Zal, Zella Lam is to slip Zal Qadam, the slipping of the foot. And Zal is to slip again and again. When is it that a person slips again and again? When they cannot have balance, when they cannot maintain balance. So zalzala earthquake, convulsion, the shaking, the tremors, the Zelzala of what? Of the Sa' of the final hour, meaning the day of judgment. Why is it called as sa'a? Because once the day of judgment occurs, then there is no more ticking of the clock. Then there is no more changing of time. Then there is only eternity. There is only permanence. What happens in this world is that one sa'ah, as it is over, another sa'a begins. Nothing is permanent in this life. Everything changes into something else. However, the day of judgment... Is a permanent day. The day of judgment begins eternity. There is no change after that. Inna zalzalata sa'a, the earthquake of the final hour, and this means that the day of judgment will begin with an earthquake. And that earthquake, Allah says, it is shay'un azim, it is something very, very great. It is very, very tremendous. It is an earthquake like no other that you have heard of or seen. You have never witnessed anything like that zelzala. And there may be many earthquakes in this world, in this life, that we may have avoided. But that zalzalah, that earthquake, it is shay'un azim, and you shall witness it. There is no way that you will avoid it. Sometimes it happens that a person is at home, there's an earthquake in the middle of the night, and they have no idea. They sleep through it. Likewise, it's possible that there is an earthquake, and while a whole building collapses, a person is standing outside. He's perfectly safe and sound. He's unharmed. He doesn't even get wounded. He doesn't even get injured. He is saved. He survives. There may be many disasters in this life that we can avoid, that we can survive. However, this zalzalah is a zalzalah that no one will be able to avoid. No one will miss it. It will not be unnoticed. Inna as sa'ati shay'un azim. And this sa'ah, this hour, it will come suddenly. Allah says, لا تاتيكم إلا بغتة. It will not come except by surprise, all of a sudden, without any warning. Today there are many earthquakes that people can predict from before. Or many disasters that can be predicted from before. And because they have been predicted, the whole city is evacuated. Right? The whole area is evacuated. Everybody goes away. There's a storm coming, or something like that. Everybody leaves. But زَلْزَلَةَ Tasara, It is going to come without any warning. So, O oh people, ittaqurabbakum, Fear your Lord. Because if your relationship with your Lord is not as it should be, then what will you do then? Who will save you? Where will you run? Where will you hide? til Ardu When the earth is shaken up, shaken up like it has never been shaken up before, وَبُسَّتِ jibalu Bassa And the mountains have been crumbled, no structure, no building stands, where will you hide? Where will you go? Where will you find shelter? So اِتَّقُوا Fear your Lord. يَوْمَ ترونها. How intense is that day? How severe is that convulsion? Is that earthquake? Yama on the day when Taronaha You will see it, meaning you will definitely witness that earthquake, that zalzala How will people be? The people, their state is described. First of all, kull amma tadhhalu she will be distracted who will be distracted مرضعتن, every nursing mother she will be distracted from who amma ardaat whatever that she is nursing tadhhalu is from the root letters dhal ha lam dhahl is to be stunned it is to be stunned to be numbed when a person is in extreme shock, or because they are in extreme fear, what happens? They become absent-minded. They become confused. They become speechless. It's as though they are numb. They don't know how to react. They don't know whether to scream or to cry, whether to run or to hide. This is the state of ذهل. When out of fright, when out of shock, a person doesn't even hear anything. They're not able to take a step even. You know, sometimes in fear, what happens? We freeze. We freeze. We're not able to run. We're trying to scream, but no sound is coming out of our mouth. Or we are so afraid, we know what to say, but the words are not coming out of our mouth. Or in that state of shock, somebody's trying to talk to us, but we have no idea they're trying to talk to us. Somebody's coming, but we don't even see them, they're waving their hand in front of us, hello, are you there? This is the state of hell. When a person is distracted out of fear, they cannot be mindful, they cannot be in the moment, they cannot pay attention to what is being said, what they're witnessing. Now who will be distracted that day? Who will be in this state? كُلُّ مرضعتن, Every nursing mother. The word murdi'ah is from radad'ain, rad'ah. Rad'ah is to nurse, right? And murdi'ah is also used for a nursing woman. And murdi'ah is also used for a nursing woman. Murdi' is used for a woman who is nursing in the sense that she is in that stage of life where she is nursing a baby. So, for instance, a woman who has a newborn baby. Right? And and she is nursing her baby. Alright? What would you call that woman? How would you describe her? Murdir. However, murdiah is slightly different. Murdirah is when the woman is engaged in the act of nursing the baby. You understand? Murdiah is who? That the child, the baby, is in the lap of the mother, latched on, the baby is nursing. The mother is nursing nursing the baby. This is murdira. Now imagine, being in that act, a woman is nursing her child, the child is in her lap. But what does Allah say? That that woman also, she will be distracted, from who? From the very baby she is nursing. From the very baby she is nursing. And the nursing baby, when the baby is in the lap of the mother, if even for a moment or two, what happens? If the baby is not latched on, what happens? The baby will start screaming and crying. And that will wake the mother up, even in the middle of the night. Right? That will make the mother leave her food, forget her conversation, throw down her phone, leave her computer, whatever she's doing, she will leave it and she will pay attention to that child. But what do we see over here? That when that hour will begin that mother will forget the baby she is nursing. She'll be in so much fear, in so much shock, that she will not care about the baby who is in her arms. كل Every mother, every nursing mother, whether human or animal, كل عمّا أرضعت And she will drop. from وَضَادْعِين وَضَعَ is to put something down, to unburden. To get rid of something. So a person is carrying a burden, they put it down, they get rid of it. This is wada'a. So tada'u, she will get rid of, who will get rid of? Kullu thati hamlin. Every that, meaning possessor of haml. Haml, burden. Meaning every pregnant woman. Every woman who is carrying something in her womb. What will she do? She will drop hamlaha her burden, meaning her pregnancy. In other words, she will miscarry. She will miscarry. That fetus will be aborted. Why? Why? Out of the fear of the zalzalah. Out of the fear of that earthquake. Because when a woman goes through some trauma, some trauma, Sometimes it could even be emotional. It could be psychological. That trauma can also cause a miscarriage. It can also abort the pregnancy. Because a woman is not able to handle that pressure. She's not able to handle that pressure. And what happens? What's in the body, what's in the womb is discarded. Because the body is not capable of carrying that burden anymore. The day of judgment is such that every pregnant woman will miscarry. Now if you think about it, women are mentioned here. And which kind of women? Mothers. Which mothers? Those mothers who are nursing their babies and those mothers who are carrying their babies. Both will forget about their babies. If you think about it, these two women, what do they show? Love. What do they express? Love, sacrifice, care, concern sometimes it's amazing how a pregnant woman will sit down, she will discontinue her work, she will quit her job, she will take a break from her studies. Why? Because of the baby that she's carrying. She will stay in bed. She's told, you need complete bed rest if you want this baby. Right? And she will literally stay in bed. Her house is a mess, her body is a mess, she doesn't care. She wants that baby. She will sacrifice her body, she will sacrifice her work, she will sacrifice her life, for who? For that baby. A nursing mother also, if you think about it, every two hours, sometimes every one hour, the baby needs to be nursed. And what is that mother doing constantly? She's delaying her shower, she's delaying her breakfast, she is delaying everything possible, for who? For that baby. If this is the state, of the most caring people, the most loving people, that they will forget their babies, they will abandon their babies, and what do you expect from the rest of humanity? Who will show love? Who will ask you if you're okay? Who will ask you if you're fine? Who will ask you if you need something? Nobody will. Nobody will. You are alone that day. كُلُّ مُرْضِعَةٍ عَمَّا أَرْضَعَتْ وَتَضَعُ كُلُّ ذَاتِ حَمْلٍ حَمْلَهَا The rest of the people, Allah says, وَتَرَ النَّاسَ سُكَارًا. And you will see the people as sukara. Sukara is a plural of sakran, seen kafra. سَكِرًا is to be drunk When a person is under the effects of or basically he is intoxicated When a person is intoxicated, then what happens? Is he able to look straight? Is he able to focus his vision even? No. Can he walk straight? Does he have balance in his body? No. Can he speak properly? No, he cannot. So just as a person who is drunk, is trying to walk, is trying to have a conversation, is trying to drive, this is how all of humanity will be. Their senses will not work properly. Their mind will not function properly. Why? Out of the fear of the Day of Judgment. Out of the horrifying events of the Day of Judgment, what are nasa sukara? You will see the people as if they are drunk. And remember that sakratul maut is also from the same root. What is sakratul maut? The agonies of death. When a person is in the state of dying, the soul is leaving the body. And what happens? The senses—they're covering up. A person is trying to have a conversation. He's trying to complete his sentence, but he's not able to complete his sentence. He says two or three words. And then he's not able to say the next one. Wataran nasa sukara? Are they actually drunk? Allah says no. Well they will not be intoxicated, because there is no more death then. They will not be intoxicated. Then why will they be like that? But the punishment of Allah is indeed severe. So because of the pain, because of the shock, because of the fear that the day of judgment will bring, they will be in utter confusion people will be confused even the prophets of Allah you know what their reaction will be on the day of judgment nafsi, nafsi I'm sorry I can't help you I can only be concerned about myself because the people as the resurrection will take place as people are brought back to life and they're assembled in the great gathering what will happen they will wait Wait and wait and wait. The sun will be brought very close. And the people will wonder, when will this judgment begin? They will wait for a very long time. And even though people will be afraid of hisab, what will happen? They will go to Adam salam And they will say, Ya Adam, you are our father. Allah made you with His own hands. He put you in Jannah. When you made a mistake, Allah forgave you. You are the father of humanity. Please ask Allah to begin the judgment. Please ask Allah to begin the judgment. Adam will say, Nafsi, Nafsi, I'm sorry. I can't, I'm too afraid. I cannot ask Allah because my Lord is angry the way He has never been angry before. So the people will go to Ibrahim, he will give a similar response. They will go to Musa, Isa, all the prophets, they will give similar response. And then eventually, they will come to Muhammad, and then he will intercede. And that is known as shafa'atul kubra. So anyway, the events of the Day of Judgment are very severe. And these events are unavoidable. They're serious. This is a serious matter. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, اتقوا rabbakum Fear your Lord. What are you doing? What kind of life are you living? How are you spending your day? How are you spending your night? How are you dealing with other people? What do you keep in your heart? What do you think in your brain? Fear your God. You have to face Him one day. A day when you will be alone. A day when no one will come to aid you. A day that is very traumatizing, very scary, horrifying. Such that the most caring people will not care for anybody. Who do you think will care for you? Who will come to save you? Who will come to protect you? When the prophets of Allah will only be concerned about themselves. So, اتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمْ Fear your Lord, O people. Now we see a similar experience at Hajj also. That how at Hajj? Because of the length of the journey, the exhaustion of that journey. We see that many people, they become selfish. They don't care about the needs of others. You know, if they find water somewhere, They'll just take it for themselves. They won't ask another person, would you like some water? No. A person is sitting in their car, in their bus, and they see others walking. Nobody would bother to give another a ride. Why? Because initially when things are good, you're willing to help others. But when you're getting tired, you're exhausted, you have little food, your patience is expiring, then you cannot care about other people. You only care about yourself. This happens at hajj and this happens in life also. That to a certain degree we are willing to help others. We are willing to give up our comfort in order to bring comfort to others. But then when we are sleep deprived, when we are hungry, then what happens? What happens? Where do all our promises go? They go away. We're not willing to help other people. And sometimes they could be the most closest to us. The most closest to us. Somebody once mentioned to me that they learned about a study in which they put a, a monkey, all right, a monkey with its baby in a cage. all right, And that cage was slowly heated up. all right, Just to see how the monkey would react. So what happened was that as the cage became a little hot, the monkey, it picked up its baby. all right, But as the heat increased, what happened? The monkey initially held the baby tight in order to protect it, but then eventually it threw the baby. Threw the baby. And when it got even more and more and more hot, it stood on top of the baby. It stood on top of the baby to avoid the heat that was coming from the bottom. And this is something that happens in life. And this is something that will definitely happen on the Day of Judgment. A person will run away from those who are closest to him. In fact, if he can, he will use them in order to have himself forgiven. He will put the blame on them. He will not take the blame on himself. He will put the blame on the mother, on the father, on the wife, on the children. And today, he doesn't do that at all. This is why Allah says, Fear your Lord. Rectify your relationship with your Lord. Give Your Lord's haq to Him. Rectify your affairs because Allah is ever watchful. He knows what you're doing and you are accountable to Him. This is a day that you cannot avoid. So don't live life ignoring this end. Remember this end. It's coming. Sooner or later, you have to face it. Sooner or later, you have to witness it. So don't forget it. Be mindful of it. Prepare for it. Remember it. But today, the state of many people, what is it? Allah says, وَمِنَ nasi," And among the people, مَنْ يُجَادِلُ فِي Man is who? يُجَادِلُ He disputes, he argues. فِي الله About Allah. Yujadilu From Jidal. And what is Jidal? An argument. An argument in which people try to overcome one another. Right? Because this is the point of the argument. You're trying to defeat the other. You're trying to prove them wrong. You're trying to win. This is jidal. Sometimes jidal, I mean, we see that the truth is clear. A person realizes they're wrong. But still, they will go to the maximum degree in order to win the debate. So, jidal, it's not necessarily about, you know, proving the truth, or it's about winning. A person doesn't care about what is right and what is wrong. What is he concerned about? Winning. Like, for example, a lawyer. I'm not saying every lawyer, just as an example. It's clear that the person who's come to him with his case is guilty. But what will he do? He will find some loophole, some evidence, some witness, something to win the case. So, among people are also those who will argue about who, filahi, about Allah. Meaning, about His oneness about his uniqueness, about his sublimity, about his power, about his commands. But how do they argue biladi ilmin Without any knowledge. Without any awareness. Meaning, this person does not really know about Allah's oneness. This person does not really know about Allah's greatness. This person does not really know about Allah's wisdom. This person does not know about Allah's knowledge, yet he will argue about Allah's commands, for example. Why did Allah give people these commands? Why is this given in the Qur'an? Why is this command given in the Qur'an? It doesn't make any sense. And this is very harmful, by the way. And all the negative aspects of it. You know, for instance, there's many commands which are given in the Qur'an that people disagree with. Right? They openly disagree with it, they openly criticize it, Right? whether it is capital punishment or any kind of punishment or command to pray five times a day also or the command for women to wear hijab even. Any kind of command. People disagree with it. They openly criticize it. And they say, look, if we observe this, then these are the harms. Okay, but do you have knowledge the way Allah has knowledge? Is our knowledge comparable to Allah's knowledge at all? No. No. Or oh, when people try to prove that there's no concept of hijab in Islam. Hmm? Then this kind of argument is based on what? Knowledge of the deen? Knowledge of the Quran? No, But they're arguing so confidently. I mean, sometimes this kind of jada, like I mentioned, it's not to prove right or wrong. It's not for the purpose of seeking the truth. It's simply for the sake of argument for winning and then a person will find any kind of evidence and distorted or misrepresented to prove himself right bilayl ilm without any knowledge wa and he follows when he's doing this who is he actually following kull shaytanim marid every shaytan that is marid that is rebellious marid is from the root letters mim radal amrada is to strip a branch off its leaves so imagine a branch with leaves on it And all the leaves are taken off. So this is what? Amrada. Maridatil ard is when land is bereft of any growth, meaning there's nothing growing on that land. You put fertilizer, you put water, you make sure that it gets sunlight, but it's not producing any grass. It's not producing anything, any vegetation. So when you see a piece of land like that, Right? When you see your backyard like that, that no matter how much money you put in and how much fertilizer and stuff you put in, it's just not growing anything. What do you call that piece of land? Stubborn. Right? Or just bad. It, it doesn't have any good in it. And what are you told? That you have to get rid of all the grass and get rid of the topsoil and replace that topsoil with better quality topsoil. Right? Why? Because that whole topsoil is ruined. It's no good. It's no good. So this is marid, Stubborn from whom nothing good comes out. It only produces bad. No matter how much good you put in, it only produces bad.
1: Assalamu alaikum. This point is very relevant to something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is... um, in my classes where we study anthropology or whatever, and they're always academics are always um, all about complicating things. Like they're, it's all about like, well, life isn't so simple. So they complicate things, and then they they do all this research, and then they get to the bottom of it, and then you're like, okay, so now what do we do? I'm like, we don't know. And I'm like, Subhanallah. I, we spent this whole entire yesterday. I went to a lecture where, like. Um, they took us through the whole history of something and at the end it all made sense that there really was a problem behind something that we view so simply. And then after people are like, so what should we do now? And they're like, well, we don't know. And I'm like, subhanAllah, like this knowledge, it's, it's kind of useless. Like Only Islam or the Qur'an will tell you something practical that will help you. It's
0: knowledge that's not leading to any action. Right? Whereas knowledge is for the purpose of Action for the purpose of improvement. And when a person is arguing like this without any knowledge, what does Allah say? He is in fact following Shaytan in Marid. Rebellious shaitan. And notice out of all the descriptions that Shaytan has, what description is given here? Marid. Stubborn. Someone who is rebellious. Murud is to exalt oneself. So rebellious and being proud in rebellion, bold in disobedience, extreme in rebellion. So no good comes out ever. Now how is this attitude described as following shaitan? If you think about it, Iblis, what did he do? He disputed with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? About Allah, about his decision, about his command. Allah ordered Iblis, prostrate to Adam. What did Iblis do? He refused. And then when he was asked, why did you not prostrate? What was his answer? An khayrun min, Right? I am better than Adam. There's no way I would prostrate to Adam. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, minha, Get out from here because you have no right to فيها, That you exalt yourself over here. So get out from here. You're expelled. What did Iblis say? You misled me. فَبِمَا أغويتني. You misled me. Oh Allah, it's your fault. You gave me this command while knowing that I would not follow it. And as a result, it wasn't my fault, it's your fault. Why did you give me a command that you knew I was not going to follow? You understand? فَبِمَا This is jidal. And people who do jidal, they are in the footsteps of Iblis, of shaitan. So when a person argues about the matters of religion, whether that is about Allah, about Allah's existence, His oneness, His power, His commands, His promises, the Day of Judgment, then when he is arguing, he is in the footsteps of shaitan. The Day of Judgment is certain. It is real. Just as we sleep, and the next morning we wake up, similarly when we die, what will happen? We will wake up on the Day of Judgment after our death. Yet, many people, what do they do? They reduce the seriousness, the magnitude of this day, and the serious attitude that it deserves. How? By arguing about the Day of Judgment without any knowledge. It's not possible. There is no way. How do we know for sure? In Surah Yasinah 77-78 we learn, أَوَلَمْ الْإِنسَانَ أَنَّا مِنْ نُطْفَةٍ فَإِذَا هُوَ does man not consider that we created him from a mere sperm drop? This is his origin. Then at once he is a clear adversary. He begins to argue. He presents for us an example that Allah cannot resurrect the dead. And that same man, he forgets his own creation. That how small he is. He says, who will give life to bones when they have disintegrated? So he argues about the Day of Judgment. How is it possible that the dead will come back to life? Allah says, this person who argues about the matters of religion, kutiba alayhi, It has been decreed. Meaning this is certain. Annahu, That indeed he, meaning the shaytan, man ta'allahu, Whoever turns to him, meaning whoever befriends him, whoever follows him, whoever follows shaytan, whoever is in the footsteps of Iblis, what will Iblis do? Annahu يُضِلُّهُ Then indeed he will misguide him. Shaytan will not guide people. What will he do? Misguide people. So the person who is in the footsteps of Shaytan, is he guided? No way, he is misguided. And Shaytan will guide him, meaning Shaitan will lead him, take him, where? إِلَىٰ عَذَابِ السعير, To the punishment of the blaze. Because that is where Shaytan will end up. And all those who are in the footsteps of Shaytan will end up in the same place. The same result. You see, Shaitan, one of his greatest success, you can say, is that he has made people deny the Akhirah. He has made majority of the people disbelieve in Al-Akhirah. Whereas the Akhirah is something that is completely logical. Completely logical. And the more we reflect on this planet, on this world, the more resurrection becomes clear and certain. Because if you think about it, anything that goes into the earth, it's dead, it's lifeless. Once it goes into the earth, does it grow back? Does it change into something else? It does. Right? A dead seed, you eat an orange and a seed comes out, it's dry, it's dead. But the same seed, when it's put in the soil, in the earth, what will happen? Will it remain a seed? No, it will grow it will grow. If there is mud, if there is water somewhere, there is moisture somewhere, what will happen? There will be life. You know, things will change. If you think about it, a closed basement, you know, this something that I can never understand. A basement which is closed, the windows are never open. Why does it get so dusty? Where does the dust come from? From where? I don't understand. When it's so far away from the main door, there's only one entrance into the basement. And the windows are never opened yet. Every time you go to that place, you find dust. Where from? And then you find those bugs. Where are they coming from? You know, you wonder that I thought the whole place was sealed. Where are these bugs coming from? The windows are never opened. Right? But we see that anything that is under the surface of the earth, there's life there. There's life. There's movement. So likewise, human beings when they die, when they go into the earth, are they not going to come back? They will come back. Are they not going to grow back? Are they not going to be resurrected? Of course they will. But what does shaitan do? He makes us think it's not possible. And the thing is that when a person disbelieves in the akhirah, when a person does not remember the akhirah, then what happens? What does he follow? His desires. Because he thinks, live life however you want. Nobody owns you. You're not answerable to anyone. No one is going to question you. Just fulfill all your wishes. Because disbelief in the akhira means there are no consequences. Right? So, كتب عليي أنَّهُ مَنْ تَوَلَّاهُ Whoever befriends shaitan, فَأَنَّهُ يُضِلّهُ وَيَهْدِيهِ إِلَى عَذَابِ السَّعِيرِ Then a person will worship his desires. And when he will do that, he will only end up in hell. Recitation?
1: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم ان زلزله الساعه شيء عظيم يوم ترونها be كل مرضعة who is أرضعت وتضع كل the حمل حملها وتضع كل who is حمل حملها وترى الناس سكارا وما هم بسكارا ولكن عذاب الله شديد